Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Today's episode is a little bit of a heart wrencher, and I don't believe I've cried on any podcast until now. My guest is Sammy Hardman, and she is the mother of 12-year-old Drake Hardman, who back in February of 2022 took his own life as a result of being bullied in school. Drake was the epitome of empathy and kindness and love in his 12 short years. She kindly joins me to talk about the signs and events that led up to his tragic suicide and how the family is not only coping but thriving in the eight months since he passed. We talk about how as parents, students, and friends, we can watch out for and help bullies recognize the damage they're doing and to try to get them the help they need as well as protecting the victims through our love and our kindness. So get out the tissues and get comfortable. Sammy, thank you so much for being here with me today. And my hope is to, of course, one, bring more awareness to this issue in the hopes that it doesn't happen again. And, you know, and I, it almost sounds cliche that every time there's a tragedy, you see the parents on the news saying, we got to do more so this doesn't happen again, but it just seems to keep happening again. I don't know. And it just breaks my heart that we're here, that I'm meeting you under these circumstances, but here we are. So I, I had kind of an outline-ish, but maybe just tell us, tell my audience what, what happened, how it happened, you know, how this, how this all started and and where we can, you know, maybe the science, science people can look for, you know, we can go down six different roads, but I don't want to get in the way of you telling this yet again. Um, well, our story began about a year ago um, when Drake, the, the end of Drake's sixth grade year, um, he started having some, some issues with what there was a, a couple of kids at first um that he was having some kind of some bullying issues with now drake's a small kid he was about four foot eight four foot nine give or take um in his eyes he was a giant but um so he had he was a new kid at school um he had some kids that were kind of picking on him but one in particular that that really decided that he wanted to um, make Drake's life hell um, on every level. It didn't matter if Drake decided to become friends with his friends or become friends with his siblings, um, whatever push comes to shove, this kid always made it rough, rough for Drake. And um, unfortunately, Drake was, Drake was the kind of kid that like he, he just loved you regardless. Like he didn't, he didn't care if you were mean to him. Um, in all retrospect, he just, he wanted to try to be this kid's friend. Um, so. Which, which speaks to his character as yeah. a young soul that he, he's miles beyond many adults. Really. 
he he know what he truly was he he from the time that he was born he just never like he just loved people like we never had stranger danger with him like he would have gone with anybody at a park he would have gone um he's your fear of a child when it comes to um going going anywhere with anybody at any time so um it just showed that 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 was just his demeanor like his demeanor was just like he was just born to love is is really all it comes down to with with how drake was um so with with the issues that we were having with this kid um a lot of it was at first was just physical um some emotional stuff never online there was no online bullying um which in nowadays is a, is a big thing um and drake was very he was very vocal with it with us at first um with everything and then um sixth grade got out and kind of you know kids it's summer kids go their separate ways and kind of do their things um the difference is, is Drake and this kid both had mutual friends. Um, they actually had a mutual best friend. So, COVID backgrounds. Happens every time. Have it happens every time on my end too. We may get that on my side too with my uh, okay alarm system. My kids just got home, so my dogs are going crazy. That's um, okay. Makes, <laughs> it, makes it more real. Yeah. Um, so. As summer kind of occurred, they all kind of went their own ways. Um, there was a couple of times where Drake and this kid were kind of, um, they still had, were around each other because they were around the same friends. And it was like every time that they were around each other, something always went wrong. Um, and there was always negativity, whether something was said wrong. And, and there was a couple of times Drake wasn't innocent. Like he was very, very good to stick up for himself and, um, and try to put this kid back in his place. But um, it always came back to us telling him that, you know, it's just be kind. And um, so we started noticing in probably July of 2021, um, Drake started developing a really bad anxiety, um, something that he'd never, he's never had in his entire life. And um, it became to the point where it was almost like debilitating to his everyday life. Um, it was, it hit him hard and it hit him like a brick. And he didn't want, he didn't want to leave home. He didn't want to leave. It was like, he feared for our safety. Um, he would call me like six or seven times to make sure I made it to work to see how my day was at work. Um, I had to call him and, and then, and this continued and it continued into as school started. And um, it was almost like a lead up to um, a school as it got closer to school, it started to get worse. And um, we took him into his pediatrician and um, they did a full, like a full mental health workup on it. Um, we had to do this whole packet. It was, a little overwhelming and um but it came back and they diagnosed him with se severe anxiety and <laughs> um panic disorder and um so we he had some therapy that he was going through and talking to and um we also put him on medication 
So let me back up. Uh, part of the anxiety was causing him to fear for your safety, or was he fearing that this kid would hurt your family? It would no. It was just more like he was almost scared that something would happen to us. Like either we'd get in a car accident, and okay. it was almost like it became a a really intense version of separation anxiety. Um, and he didn't want to go to his friend's house. He didn't. It was like he was worried about leaving us. And so at first we we couldn't. That's why we. Could, it was hard for us to kind of distinguish like where was this coming from. Um, and then. Once we got him on medication, um, he kind of started coming back to his normal self. And and then school started. And as school started, everything kind of went back to where it left off at the end of his sixth grade year, as far as with this kid. And there was um, some physical stuff that would happen and Drake would come home and he'd have bruises on him. And at first it was usually like, I fell during basketball or there was always kind of excuses for it, like different reasons. And then he always fessed up and said, um, so-and-so did this or um, he hit me at recess or he tripped me or stuff like that. And every time he did that, I would go into like mama bear mode and I would go straight to the school. And the school was really good to to work with us um, and trying to getting, getting things like this taken care of. But it seemed to be the more I was proactive, the more it was hurting Drake on the back, on the back end. And, um, that's what we weren't, that's what we didn't catch. And that's what we weren't realizing that when this kid would get in trouble and he would get suspended and he would be gone when he come back, um, to school, there was background retaliation of things that were happening. And then things started to happen, um, where we couldn't catch it on video. So he would, there was things that would happen in the bathroom. And so this, like I said, this continued on until up until the day. Um, anyway, so, so this, this back and forth, um, nonsense that we'd hear about it and then, um, everything it, we thought it started to get quiet about December and so we thought that maybe everything had kind of gotten better. Drake didn't really say much of anything. He wasn't coming home complaining. Um, he seemed to have a, a decent attitude and stuff when he would come home from school. He didn't seem down. He didn't seem um, angry or anything. And then um, that all continued. And like I said, we we thought everything was good until um, – the week everything happened. So um, the week that Drake had passed, he came home Monday from school and he had a, a black eye, like a pretty, a pretty good black eye. And um, my husband was like, dude, what happened to your eye? And Drake had already had this story of, um, so we have a 170 pound puppy. And when I say puppy, it's because he's only one. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's not a puppy. That's a and, child. That's a, that's another adult. It is, it's, it is, he's bigger than everybody in our family. So, um, he said that he was wrestling with Carl and Carl hit him with his paw and, and he got a mark on his eye and which is a realistic thing. And so, um, my husband was like, Oh, okay. Um, and then he, I got home from work the same day this and later that night and I seen the same mark on his face and I was like, dude, what happened to your face? And he's like, 
Carl hit me with his paw. And I was like, oh, okay. Didn't think, didn't think anything of it. Um, my daughter, my middle daughter took Drake to basketball uh, that night and um, Drake told her what had really happened. And um, he had gotten hit in the face in the bathroom um, by this kid. And so, and he had told her that stuff like this had been going on. Um, but every time he tells us and I say something, it just gets worse for him at school. And so he made her promise not to tell me. And so we go into the next day and I had, I'd had Tuesday off from work and, um, kids went to school, came home, everything was fine. Um, my daughter called me into her bedroom later that evening and, um, Tuesday evening and you could tell she was upset and she's like, I need to talk to you. And so I said, okay. And, um, Drake and my oldest daughter were in the kitchen doing a, a project for one of Drake's classes. And I was like, okay. I said, I'll talk to him. And she said, he promised me not to tell you because he says it gets worse for him at school. And so I said, okay. I said, I'll talk to him. So I let him finish his project and then I brought him out to the couch. I was like, hey, bud, can we talk for a minute? And he said, yeah. And um, I said, I don't want you to be mad at Miss Haley, but, but she told me what happened with your eye. And he kind of like, he kind of sighs. So he's like, and I was like, buddy, you got to tell me. You got to tell me when these things happen. And he just said, but when I tell you and he gets in trouble, it just gets worse for me. So I said, okay. I said, well, what do you, what do you want to do? And he was, he was kind of like in an awe, like he didn't know what to do. And I said, okay, well, how does it make you feel? Like, what are you feeling? And he says, I'm just mad. And I said, okay. I said, that's, it's a valid feeling. I said, um, I said, I need you. I need you to be able to come to me and talk to me about these things because I can't, I can't let you get stuck in your own head. And he, he's kind of looked at me and I was, he's like, I don't know what that means. And I said, well, have you ever had, it's, it's the hard questions. I said, have you ever had thoughts where maybe you might want to harm yourself? And he's like, no, like he was, he was almost disgusted that I would even ask him those questions. And I said, I just, I need to know, bud, I need to know. And he's like, absolutely no, mom. No, I would never would. And I'm like, do you promise me? And he's like, pinky promise. And so Tuesday, he pinky promised me that he would never hurt himself. So I gave him a hug and um, I sent him to bed. And we all woke up and um, got up the next day. Did our our normal, just our normal routine. Um, kids went to school. I went to work. I came home, or I was at work, and um, I got a call about eight thirty. 
um, and I had missed it. And so I, I come back after I got, I was, I just stepped out of my office and I came back in and, um, so I was returning the call, um, from my husband and I, he didn't answer. And so I was like, okay, well, we're just playing phone tag. And, um, and he called me again. And when I answered the phone, he was hysterical. I, it, I just kept telling him to, I said, calm down, calm down. And, um, he told me that Drake had tried to take his life and Michelle had found him. And at that point, I'm freaking out because I'm 45 minutes away. And I don't know what to do. And I just kept yelling on the phone, like, is he okay? Is he okay? Is he okay? And he just said that the paramedics were working on him. And he didn't know. He just kept saying he didn't know. He didn't know. He didn't know. And um, after talking to him on the phone for a few minutes, um, I heard the paramedics yell from, from our house and they had yelled that they had got a heartbeat and so at that point I'm sitting at work and I'm trying to decide like where do I go do I go home do I go um and so he says that they're they're gonna take him to primaries I worked in West Jordan so my goal was to get to primary children's before life flight landed so I somehow figured out how to compose myself put gas in my car and drive um up to primary children's and so I was got to primary children's um about five minutes before life light had landed and um they brought him in and he was purple and lifeless and when I tell you it's every parent's nightmare to see your baby And that state of mind is an understatement. And so um, my husband drove up with my brother-in-law. And when he came into the ER, he just, he, he just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I hugged him. And I told him that because of him and him doing CPR and the girls helping to get the paramedics there that they saved him so that I could see him and then um the hospital did all their stuff they did a CT scan um a CT scan showed that that Drake had a lot of brain swelling in his little in his poor little brain and um he couldn't the first, the first 24 hours is, is extremely crucial. Um, the first 72 is, is kind of the vital of, um, their brain's going to swell. It's going to not swell. Um, uh, but the first 24 hours are, are the crucial. And so they got him settled up in his ICU room. And, um, I just, I just heard these stories of, um, of the little girl, Izzy, who had just, had just done this, um, November of 2021 and uh, 
was this, she was, was on this my another, support, I think, for like another a week. Local, another local girl? Yeah, she was in Bountiful. She was 10. So she was younger than Drake. Um, her story, her story is sad. It's so sad. And, um, and so I, in the back of my mind, I knew that I, I, I couldn't wait a week. And so as they were, we got Drake all in his room and settled, um, well, stable. His heart was beating on his own. Um, Andy had gone down to, to talk. We had a bunch of family members and they went down to talk. And I leaned my head into Drake and I whispered in his ear and I just told him that I needed his help. I needed him to help me make this decision because in four days, three days, I couldn't make the decision to pull him off of life support. And it wasn't something that I wanted to do. So I needed him to help me. Um, we had a pretty stable night up until about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And then we started noticing um, little things like his eyes would blink. Um, and so they put an EEG on his head. And... Um, because they thought maybe he was having some seizures and um, they couldn't correlate the, the blinking um, with anything neurological as far as seizures. And so they chopped it off too. They think that maybe he was just dreaming. And so you hear that and it's, it's that false hope. Okay. He's dreaming, which means maybe his brain's okay. And, um, and then we, we started noticing like his blood pressure would right kind of jump and then fall and jump and fall. And um, his urine output was, wasn't what it was supposed to be. And so they came in and they did a kidney function test and his kidneys were starting to fail. So at that point we knew that eventually it was, was something that he was going to go. And he about eight o'clock in the morning, all the doctors had come in and they were doing their rounds and um, at about, and we were in there talking with the nurses and we hadn't had the hard conversations. We hadn't had the DNR. Um, we knew that we were getting to that point, but we just, we weren't there yet. And um, the doctor came in and we were talking and at like 8, 17, um, Drake's heart rate went from 146 to 30. And so the nurse, um, the nurse yelled, if, if we're going to save him, we need to do it now. As a mom, your first instinct is to yell. And I yelled for them to save my baby. So the nurse jumped up there and she's doing CPR and she's doing chest compressions on Drake and the doctor just looks at us and she's like, if he makes it, he's not going to be the same. And so I looked at Annie and I said, I can't do this to him. This is his sign for us. And so I literally pushed the nurse off of him 
and I crawled up next to him on the bed and Andy climbed up on the other side and we laid there and I laid there with my head on his heart. We laid there for about 10 minutes until he finally took his last beat. So he knew and he was preparing us through the night to let us know that he wasn't gonna, he couldn't fight this. And that he knew that even being gone, that there was so much more that he could do. And that this was a fight that we needed to fight for him. And we are. So, um, our girls weren't at the hospital. We had to have my sister bring them. Um, and all the questions that they're asking on the way to the hospital. And um, we allowed my sister to, to tell them that Drake had passed before they got to the hospital because I couldn't, I feared giving them the news at the hospital. And so when they got there, um, and they came in and seen him and, and we sat with him in the room for probably four or five hours. And um, we sat there and we told stories and we talked about him and, and all the, like his heart and how pure he was and like the love that he just had for people. And that's where the, the hashtag do it for Drake movement came from was, um, my girls were just like, we'll do it for Drake. Everything we'll do, we'll do it for Drake. And um, when I went home that night, I was laying in bed, I couldn't go to sleep. I had more of the guilt of leaving him at the hospital than probably anything. And I laid in my bed and I wrote this whole thing out and out of, it was kind of out of anger. And, um, uh, under the, the circumstances of, did I think it would reach as many people as it did? Absolutely, absolutely not. Um, I thought it would just my 600 followers that I have on Instagram. Um, but it was something that needs, it needs to be talked about. It needs to be, it needs to be surfaced. And um, did I want to label myself as, as the mom that lost her 12 year old son to suicide because a lot of families don't want that they don't want to be the, in fear of being judged and fear of being um shamed um it's a good thing people don't know me that well because i don't care about either one of those um and so i did i i threw this i threw drake's story into the world and i i put our family out there and then I, I laid there and eventually I fell asleep. And um, when I woke up the next morning, the, the outreach was ridiculous. I had people from con other countries that, that had reached out that had Drake's story had hit. And just like, overnight? Just overnight. Wow. 24 hours. Um, I literally when I tell you I literally only had like 600 people maybe that I was friends with on Instagram. And a lot of those are kids that I went to high school with and family members and coworkers and um, 
people I literally literally knew um to the point where like my my profile was public because if generally if somebody added me they knew who I was it wasn't and so when I had woke up the next morning um I had and I was like it was like 180 something thousand people that were following me on social media that is mind-blowing yeah it's like I can't I can't even describe to you how over how overwhelming it is and um because in my mind I, I start to think like is it is it there for support or is it do they is it they just want to look into my life like are they wanting me to be this everybody's like you can be this influencer and um like I'm really boring like <laughs> I'm not I'm not like this this person that can get on and, and, and talk on there every day and, and do everything like but I'm also not I chose to not be the sad mom um I don't know if that makes sense at all but yeah it, it you it's not gonna cripple you it's gonna fuel you it's exactly it and being, that's... Woe, woe is me I'm so sad which you are clearly for obvious reasons but you yeah I get it I totally get it I chose to let it it, it drag to fuel me and to fuel my fire and to to bring awareness to that suicide can happen that it can happen in kids and the difference is is that maybe the signs that you see in adults are can be a little bit more valid um, and more visible but I had a talk with my 12 year old son the night before anything happened and those signs the signs weren't there and so a lot of times with with this kind of situation in, in in ages of kids between like the ages of like 10 and 14 15 it's not something that's carried out and planned it's not uh there's no letters there's no text messages there's no signs there's no signs um do you think it's, it's just more of an instinct because they don't really know how to process or plan or talk even that's when like explains why he got so frustrated when you asked him if he was thinking about harming himself yeah it's it's not something that that goes through their minds it's um it's a quick impulse of a decision that they make and they don't understand the consequences that it leaves behind that's why you where you have a lot of kids that um that will have suicide attempts and and they'll survive them. Um, and then there's the select few, um, like Drake and um, Izzy from Bountiful, and um, their bodies are so little and their brains are so small that um, it they they can't. And had Drake had Drake survived it, had Drake made it made it, he would have he would have been bound to a wheelchair. He would have been uh, like basically a vegetable. And if you know that it's not, that's not him. It's not the life. It's not the life that he would have wanted. I mean, that kid did not stop moving until he fell asleep at night. 
um, from sunup to sundown, he was, he was all over the place. So it's, it's, I have a lot of people that ask me like, what are the signs that you saw? I didn't see any, I didn't, Drake didn't have any. Um, there were some things that we found out about a week later um, of some stuff that had happened to him the day of, and he was body slammed in the hallway as he was leaving school. And so when he got home, um, they said that his demeanor was a little bit quiet, but not anything out of the door, like not anything like out of the ordinary that we would have been like, are you okay, bud? Like just, he just came home and he was just more like, he was just mellow. Not that he was sad. He wasn't um, angry. He was just kind of more mellow throughout the day. He didn't want to go to, he's supposed to have basketball practice at night, uh, Wednesday night. And he told his sister and told his dad that he didn't, he didn't want to go. Um, he had a big bruise on the side of his knee that he claimed um, that he tripped it during basketball, playing basketball at school, which wasn't the case. And so all of that that happened that day, could that have played a part to, to what happened? Absolutely. But not anything to like, to the visible eye for us to be able to to think that something would have happened well it's so out of character why why would you think that yeah well and i just had a conversation with him less than 24 hours ago it's so it's, so and and maybe you mentioned this but my my brain was just trying to process the grief you must be going through but so he went to bed that night and that's when it all happened like you just didn't wake up in the morning uh, did I miss that? No. So Tuesday, we, Tuesday night, we all went to bed and then Tuesday, uh, Wednesday morning, we all woke up. He went to school. Okay. Um, it was Wednesday evening. Okay. And so he, he just got up from the couch. They were all watching a movie. Um, and he had, during the middle of the movie, he just he just got up and excused himself, said he was kind of tired, um, went into his room, closed his door and locked his door. And um, that's one policy kind of we have at home is you don't lock your door. Um, there's, there's never any need. He's the only boy. Nobody's going to go in there if he's changing. Um, it always gets knocked on first. My daughter got up to, um, to go check on him and wiggled his door handle and um, his door was locked. And so she was yelling at him through the door and he wasn't responding. And so she went and grabbed um, something to unlock his door. And when she unlocked his door, um, he had hung himself on his bunk bed. So for, for an adult to find that, would be devastating for a 16 year old girl and she let out a scream and my other daughter came running in and, 
and he had used a hoodie, so there was no mark. There was no marking on him. But he, his sisters had to untie him. And then my husband gave him CPR until the paramedics got there. All because one kid just doesn't know how to be kind. And so now it's it's a daily it's a daily struggle here every day with PTSD triggers. And uh, my daughter was in my bed last night just sobbing. Like she can't. It's my oldest or my middle daughter. It's her senior year of high school, and she can't balance out her panic attacks at school. So she asked me to put up line as a senior. You're supposed to be able to enjoy your senior year. Um, my oldest daughter had to finish her senior her senior year out through summer school. She didn't get to walk with her class because she missed a month of school grieving her brother. So it's it's me reaching out to parents and to to teachers and to everybody that that has interactions with kids to to be that example. Especially the ones teaching our kids because they might be the only safe place that these troubled kids have. They might be the only outlet that they have. And if they don't, if they don't have that at home, and they're not getting the support and the love and the attention that they need at home, then they're acting out at school, and somebody is getting the attention for it the, you're talking about the bull, bully kids mm -hmm. I am so sorry I can't even imagine what that must be like I've had this question since I first heard about your story is did this kid change no like he didn't see how, how he contributed maybe that's the same you know, same age, somebody just not thinking that 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 could cause um, someone to feel so bad that they would feel that their only solution was to take their life. My biggest concern um, when all of this happened, and maybe it's it's the mom in me. I don't I don't know I don't really know, um, or maybe it's the Drake coming through. It's but my biggest concern was. Um, when we went to the school to pick up Drake's stuff out of his locker, we met with the principal and um, the assistant principal because there was a bunch of like gifts and books and stuff that the kids made. And um, my first concern to her was to watch him, to watch this kid. Because as an adult, if if I were to know that I was so mean to somebody that ultimately led them to think that the only way that they could feel better was to not be here anymore. As an adult, that's heavy. 
it's hard to carry. So as a kid, I was worried. And I was, I didn't want, I didn't want this to happen to his parents. As angry as I was, and as angry as I even still am now, I would never even wish this upon his family. I would never want his mom to feel the way that I have to feel every day. Like I said, I think that's a little more of the Drake that, that's that's in there that's guiding me through that. But the problem is, is, is two weeks after Drake had passed, he just moved on to another kid. It's it's like it it never happened. There was no there was no emotions. There was no um now there there is some issue. There was some charges that were pressed, not by us, but by this this other kid that he started to pick on. Um there were some charges and stuff that were eventually pressed on him and um he was removed from the school for the remainder of the school year, but as far as I know, as of now, I think he might be back there. But from what I hear, like nothing's nothing's changed. Like his demeanor hasn't changed. His personality hasn't changed. Like it's almost like there's not a switch in there to to know that he what he's doing is even wrong. In in terms of like connection with his family, his parents, I assume there's. Has there been contact from you to them or are they being no. shielded or are they just, well, I don't, well, I don't even know how to ask the question or where to go with that, but are like, are they making him aware of the significance of his behavior? There's a, there's a really fine line, I guess there, um, as in communication, as far as us know, um, I chose to, after everything happened, everything between them and us need to be communicated through the school. I didn't want to deal with it on and out. We live in a small town. Do I see him? Yeah. Have I run into him in the grocery store? Absolutely. Is it gut-wrenching? Yeah, but I, I don't. The last thing I would ever want the world to know, to know is the identity of this kid because the the world will rip him apart and the family. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, and so it, it is, it's hard because you, like I said, you, I see him in the grocery store. I see him, you know, at a, when we go to support some of Drake's other friends, like generally they're there. And, um, but there's, but because his victims came out as adults and they came out right as COVID had hit, um, he only served 90 days in jail and then got three years probation. And because of that, they didn't even make him register as a sex offender. So this person is still involved in the lives of, of this kid, this bully, and his siblings. And um, is it a contributing factor? You know, I don't know. Do I think? I think so. I think there's absolutely because stuff that we found out that was done to Drake and stuff that was done to this other kid, like, 12-year-old kids don't know that stuff. They don't. I, I, a lot of us, you can't even, yeah. It's, it's taught. It's, it has to be taught. It's taught or it's seen. Yeah. And, um, 
so that's why through our foundation with Drake and being his advocate or his his voice is to to not only structure saving these victims who are being bullied but it's saving these these victims who are the bullies because there's it's a it's a full circle because his life is going to be destroyed as well if if he doesn't one recognize it or is not taught I, i i fear for his safety as an adult i really do and or other people that he comes in contact with like i really do and it's it's hard for me it's hard for me to to sit back and and watch it unravel because i i know i'm i'm a victim of of what he's capable of um and i unfortunately we got the repercussions of it but it it really is it's really hard to to kind of sit back and be like when you see things or you hear things and you just kind of have to put your blinders on or protect protect the people around him as much as you can with little information so the the family and again i may have asked you this are they acknowledging and or owning any of or do they are they just like this is not not, not my kid kind of thing I think it went back and forth for a little bit. Um, like I said, we don't we don't have contact with them um, unless I see them. And when I see them, it's kind of like a deer in the headlights kind of a thing. Um, I walk my way, they walk theirs. And so I don't I don't I don't really know. I know that um, when the criminal charges were pressed and the officers would try to to interview him. Um, the parents, like he was almost like groomed in his interviews on what he could say and what he couldn't say. And they wouldn't, they were very uncooperative. If they're in denial about it, then that makes total sense that that would happen. Correct. Um, there was, um, an incident where one of Drake's friends who so drake and um his one of his really good friends zoe they were part of starting the hope squad at the junior high this junior because it's a charter school and i'm sure i don't know if you're aware of like kind of what the hope squads are but what they do is so the hope squad it helps kids who are struggling with mental health issues and or um suicide ideation um and it helps them to be able to talk to the, like they talk to other kids. They, um, they help give them the resources, I guess. And they're just, they're advocates for these other kids. And um, so, like I said, Drake and his friend Zoe were a big part of starting this. And so it's like, he, he built this, this foundation for something that he, he felt victim to at the school. And, um, so his friend, his friend Zoe, she was also kind of bullied by this, the same kid. She, she put a petition together at the school and um, talked to the seventh and eighth graders. And in a matter of like three hours, 
she had a list of 14 kids that were being bullied by this one kid. They were all victims of him. And he, so he had 14 victims. And they all had one bully. And, um, and she took it to the administration of the school and the, and the principal basically ripped it up in her face and told her that she needed to stop being a bully to this, to this boy. And so, um, and this was after, this was probably two or three months after Drake had passed. For some reason, the school, the schools kind of started protecting him. And the hard thing is, is when you go to a school like that, and you know, I mean, the kids knew who Drake's bully were, or bully was. They seen it. And um, so at that point, like the teachers, the administration um, kind of put a bubble around him. I mean, he wasn't getting picked on by these other kids, but it was like these other victims, they couldn't come, they couldn't come out and say, hey, you know, he's been doing this to me or he's been mean to me without basically being called a liar. And um, we pulled ourselves, we pulled ourselves completely away from all things, the school and um, our damage was done. And, but anytime I got a phone call from my mom that went there, that was like, my kid was, my kid was kind of being bullied by him as well. Like, what do we do? And talk to the principal, talk to the principal. It's, that's a tough, and I, I get what they're trying to do because he's just a he's just a little kid. He's someone's kid too, and mm-hmm. if he was eighteen, he'd, he'd be in the system. He'd be in a system, or other eighteen-year-olds would be pummeling him. I think that mm-hmm. that's a oof, I don't know. Uh, that's a like I one. said, it's it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. This is rough. <clears throat> this is really rough that's that's harder to wrap your brain around i think than than your son taking taking himself out is the that this is continuing and they don't see the result of that kind of behavior what it did to your family yeah are they or they see it and they're just ignoring it which is worse yeah so we've made it we've made it our mission to to go after these schools, I guess, is basically, I mean, you don't, you don't ever want to go after a kid. Um, that's never going to make matters better. Yeah. Cause he's, he's a child. Yeah. He doesn't, he's, doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't clearly does not know what he's doing. And if he does, then he needs, there's, there's psychological issues going on there that, that is going to take far more than far more therapy than, than, I'm even capable of knowing what he would, what would even be needed, but it's, it's just teaching these schools that, um, how to be able to, to identify these kind of situations and not, not push it under the rug. It's, it's hard. Utah is really hard with, with mental health issues and with suicide issues. It's, they don't, it doesn't want to be talked about. Um, and even still, the the suicide rates that Utah's had in the last year, I can think of five off the top of my head that have happened since Izzy in November. 
So her being the first that I knew about in November, followed by Drake, followed by, I was a female of an Ogden, 16 years old. There was another boy in Bountiful, I want to say 16, 17 years old. Um, and then followed by, I think there was another one in Utah County. And this is, this is all within, I mean, Drake's been gone seven months, eight months. So within an, almost a year span, we've lost that many kids. Like it, that's from bullying or other reasons as well. Um, between bullying and mental health. And are both. It's, and you said you said the school was behind you when when you first started reporting this that they were on board and helping absolutely. you, right? Was this a gradual shift, or did they just overnight decide not to be helpful anymore? I don't know. They were um, they were really good up until probably two weeks, two or three weeks after Drake had passed. Then we kind of noticed, we noticed some shifting every time I would go into the school. So like kids would, would write cards for us. Um, they basically turned his locker into like a little memorial um, for the remainder of the year. And so kids could write him letters and, and drop them inside of his locker. And, uh, and then the administration would call me and um, I'd come and pick it up. And the, the office ladies, like they, they adored him. So every day, when Dre got to school, he would, he'd go into the office lady and he'd slam his hand down on the desk and he'd be like, you ladies have the best day every day. And it's the little things like that that we didn't know about. And so he, they were really good to work with us and they were really supportive afterwards. And then it was like, like a, it was almost like a like a switch flipped, and then all of a sudden, um, it's just mainly the principal, and she knows that I'm not a fan. And all of a sudden, she just decided that she needed to start protecting him, and and I get that, I get it a hundred percent that she that she wants to protect him, but she's got a school full of kids that she also needs to protect. And how many lives need to go before she sees the damage it's causing? And um, and then after that, yeah, when the other kids would try to come forward, it was like, oh, well, it's no big deal. And um, we found out that, so the Safe UT app, that's um that's really big so drake was one of two schools that didn't have it the principal opted out of having it because um she had a couple parents that had come to her and said that they didn't want their kids talking to a therapist or talking to somebody on the phone that they weren't aware of that they didn't know and so because of those those two concerns um she opted out of having access and giving the kids access to be able to have safe UT, which I'm a huge advocate for. Like I've talked in schools and I push that, I push that app because that app is the one thing 
that will save lives. And, um, and it's, it's educating parents to realize that through this app, that yes, your kid might reach out for help, but by the time that they're reaching out for help, they, the school's been notified, the principal's been notified, or the school district's been notified, the school's been notified, parents are getting notified, especially because it's a child. And um, what everybody's getting notified, your kid is talking to somebody who is potentially on the other line, saving them, like saving their life and talking them out of a dark, dark place. And um, parents don't, they're not comfortable with that. They're comfortable with their kids having a Snapchat account or Instagram or whatever social media platform where they can, you know, talk to whoever they want or bully whoever they want, but they don't want their kid to be able to talk to somebody that could potentially help them save them from a matter. Jake didn't have access to that. What have I, would I have let him have it on his phone? Absolutely. Because my girls both have it. But because she chose to listen to the voice of just two parents. My son didn't get that. He didn't get to be able to have that as an outlet. To be able to, do I think that, that maybe he would have reported these things happening? Maybe. I don't know. We'll never know. Because it's anonymous, right? Yep. It is. You can do it anonymous and then you can do it. Um, not anonymous. So like if you call for yourself because you're in a dark place and you're struggling, um, they know who you are. And by doing that, it's so that they can get the help and resources that they need to you as quick as possible and get into the school. But you can report bullying. You can report um, pretty much everything on there. In fact, there's, if you click on the safe UTF, the very first, the very first thing that comes up is acts of kindness. So you can report people who are kind. And people don't even, they don't even do that. Does your, does that school have it now or no? Yep. Because the, the Senator, um, Daniel Thatcher, who's our Senator out here, he, uh, he was parted and he had a hand in, putting together the safety app and so when he found out that that their school didn't have it um he called he called the principal himself and it, it basically tore into her and was like why and yeah, that makes she, no sense that that she would not that's crazy there's, and something they have it to, now. there's something more to that i think but it's like they don't put a stoplight up in an inter intersection until someone dies and they can justify it and even then it's like, how many times, like how many more accidents or how many more kids get hurt before they're like, okay, maybe we've had one fatality and a few accidents. Okay. Maybe we'll. I, I can see the, the school resisting if one, maybe two kids said, Hey, this kid's picking on me, but 14, you said there was 14, 14. Something doesn't add up. So what's what's happening? What's next? What? How are you sharing this? Are you on like a speaking circuit now, or 
you're in hot demand for telling the story at firesides and the gatherings. I mean, what's you still, have, um, still have a job and a life, I assume you have to lead and other kids. I do. I, I, I'm not a public speaker. Um, you are now. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I've become, I guess I've become one. Um, and eventually it'll get easier. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I don't know what, how time will tell. Um, but I, for us, it's, we started a, a movement with a couple of foundations back east, and it's called um, Bags for Bags Against Bullies. And um, it's through the cornhole world. So I don't know if you're familiar with how the cornhole world works, but it's the game it's cornhole. But, mm-hmm. yeah, like that you taken, play in your backyard or camping. Yeah, that, that's that's taken off in some strange. That's an anomaly I don't understand. But anyway. Um, but they're a family. They are. So we had, we had two guys that reached out to us. Um, March, it was probably around, it was around March and, um, it was supposed to be what would have been like a 30 minute zoom call because they had something they kind of wanted to pitch at us. And, um, we, that 30 minute zoom call turned into four and a half hours that we talked with our families and their families and we cried and we uh, we came up with with what's called bags against bullies and through this it's through the we started it through the cornhole world and um and then we we moved on with it a little bit we made backpacks and on these backpacks they're just just kids school backpacks um we also there's like drawstring backpacks as well and um, on these on these backpacks, we my girls and then um, the boys of these other two families just chose a bunch of kind words and we just slapped them on the back in in rainbow colors on the back of these all over these backpacks, and um, with the hopes that if if we can get them into schools and we can get kids wearing them, that how hard is it to pick on another kid? when he's wearing a backpack that says all of these kind words. And um, so we we got in like a, a trial pack and um, we handed them out, started with family members. My girls uh, wore them last year. And um, the the outreach of, of people wanting to buy them because they they just fell in love with them. Like they're, the compliments and the the kind gestures that their kids would get from other kids and kids who were being bullied were no longer being bullied because how how hard it is for a bully to go up to a kid and to say something to them when whatever they read on those backpacks are so they're positive and they're uplifting that it 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 makes their brains rethink for just a second and then the mean doesn't come out almost like a spiritual so, force field of kindness. Um, it really, it really is, and um, it it took off a lot bigger than we than we thought it. Would. Like you know, when you, you just what do you do? What do you do? like? You come up with different plans of what you can do. Like I'm not the type of mom that wants them to name a law after my kid, 
I didn't want, I was even hesitant with, with the fact of trying to start a foundation. Cause I was like, you know, why, like what's going to come out of a foundation. And, um, and there's, there's this thing called, it's called the suicide contagion. And, um, what it is, is it's when people start to fantasize and idolize somebody who's taken their life. And um, the way Drake's, so when Drake passed, it it went worldwide. And um, so the last thing we want, we wanted people to, to do or to think is to, for Jem to think that Drake was a celebrity, that he's this famous person. Um, he's not, he's just a kid with a big heart that loved the world. And uh, what happens is, is kids can look upon this and be like, you know, if I did this, like maybe people would love me like they love Drake or maybe my family would get attention or maybe, um, you know, all of these things. And so when we, when we started Drake's foundation, we, we made it about who Drake was as a person, what Drake stands for. And, and Drake is Drake. So they're, they're not the same. Um, I have my son who is the true meaning of what it means to be empathetic and, and how he's living proof, living proof, proof of how empathy can come natural. And there's some people that, and I've met some of the most amazing people and a lot of people that have reached out to me and they're like, my son reminds me of your son. And because they're kind and they're, um, they're outspoken or they're blue, you know, they have blue eyes and blonde hair. Like they start to, to, to pick the things out of, of their kids that, that they can equalize them with Drake. And, um, to, to help them process, I guess, their way of, um, helping their kids be better people. And, um, and so that, like, that's been, that's been amazing. Um, and like kids that I've, I've had, I have a book that I'm going to be not writing. I'm not writing a book, (laughs) um, putting together that I've had of Instagram messages that have been sent to me about, just from kids that have, you know, um, hearing Drake's story and seeing the rawness of the pictures that I posted and um, seeing those and hearing that and hearing about who he was saved their lives. And it, it made him think for a split second that, um, that they want to live to be able to make others feel better. And, um, so I've been compiling, I just kind of screenshot them and compiling them. And, um, I'm going to have a book made of all of them because those are, that is our why they are our why they're the reason I'm vocal. They're the reason I'm becoming a, I don't even celebrity. know. You were going to, you were going to say celebrity. No, not celebrity. <laughs> okay. I'm so far from a celebrity. <laughs> um, I still kind of get excited when my Instagram followers kind of dwindle down. Like I'm not going to lie when I see them starting to drop a little bit. Cause I told them like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that cool. Like I'm a sad, I'm a sad mom, but I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you the sad posts every day. 
Um, I'm not going to wallow. I live, I live day to day is really, is really what I do. And I live, I live for my kids. I live for my girls. My oldest daughter's having a baby in um, eight weeks and I'm going to be a grandma. And so I live for those moments and I live for the moments that, that he, especially the ones that he would love and that he can't be here for. And on my, on my hard days and I, I feel the feelings. I, if I'm having a bad day and I'm angry, I allow myself to be angry. If I'm sad, I cry. I allow myself to feel 500 different emotions during the day because that's what shows me that I'm going to be okay. And then if I have a really bad full day, it starts over tomorrow and I wake up the next day and, and it's a new day. And um, when I tell people that who are grieving, because I have a lot of people that, that ask me like, what advice do you have for grieving moms? Like, I don't, I don't have advice. I, I can tell you what helps me. Um, but everybody grieves. I mean, we're in a house right now of five or four people and well, five people and we all grieve, we all grieve differently and we're all grieving at different stages and at different times because of the, the different things that we've had to endure. My daughters and my husband are, are, they have a lot of PTSD and a lot of trauma of the night. Everything happened that I don't have. And so there's days where I feel guilty because I would love for them to be able to a hundred percent be able to put that behind them and be sad like me every day. I just, I'm sad because I miss him. And there's days that they want to miss him, but they, they can't get past it's scary. They can't get past the night. And that was my daughter last night when she was curled up in my bed. And she said, Mom, I want to miss him without being scared. How do I take that from her? How do I, as a mom, you want to, you want to take that and you want to make him feel better. And I just, and you just have to love him. And you have to love them through it. And so that's kind of what's next. It's it's the bags against bullies. It's the me being the sad mom that talks to people <laughs> that talks to people and um I share my experience and I share it, I share it raw. Um of course there's places where you know you go and I've spoken a couple firesides and those are really difficult. They're really difficult to speak at because so much you want to be able to tell these kids what they need to hear. And um, there's, there's regulations you have to follow and there's things that you can't say and you can't, they don't want, they want me to tell Drake's story, but suicide can't be talked about. And so I have to figure out Sorry, can I stop you there? Suicide yeah. can't be talked about at a fireside where you're talking about like are these like public events or church functions? Church functions. And you're not allowed to talk about suicide? Who set who sets that rule? The last one that I spoke at was a bishop. He uh I had a meeting with him prior. Um the the young woods leader 
reached, and this was actually a small town. This is where I grew up. But she had reached out to me. She was my young woman's leader. Um, I've known her my whole life. And, and she she teaches in a kind of a Spanish-speaking board. And um, she just wanted me to come in and talk about bullying and the, the effects that it can have. And, um, and basically, literally just tell Drake's story. She wanted me to be raw and she wanted me to, and there's a lot of things we can't, like there's a lot of things I can't do. Um, I can't do pitch, like I can't show pictures. A lot of that has to do with parental, you need parental um, permission because a lot of the pictures that we have and stuff at the hospital are, they're pretty raw. And but um, you're the, you're the parent who's giving permission, right? It's, it's uh for parents have to give this so that their kids can see oh to see it it. yeah okay it's because it's nsf not safe for work kind of thing right yeah this this could trigger somebody okay okay so it it, yeah it could um and i mean they could just google his name and they could find him but um it's it's like that at schools too there's i so i show the i show the good pictures of him i show the pictures of of the things that he loved and that we loved about him instead of the the sad um because if you have to have a parent's permission to watch a pg-13 movie um i can't show pictures of my deceased son in a hospital bed so there's there's fine lines kind of that you have to you have to work around but um it's it's the church functions that i i feel like are the hardest because i got i got talked into doing this fireside and it was it was my I was really excited to be able to do it. And then I got there and it was like, okay, well, you, you can't talk about this. And so I basically had, I had an hour to talk about being kind and how to teach kids to be kind. That's, that's really all I I did as I was basically there. I felt like I was lecturing them on how to be nice. Which is all well and good, but you also need to show the results of not being nice yeah and that's weird that that they wouldn't that's weird sorry i I Uh, can't wrap my brain around how stupid that is maybe i'm I'm missing something i don't know um i've had i've had that a couple of times and then i've spoken a a couple of junior highs and um one junior high in particular out of west jordan i worked with a resource officer um she was a a an officer for Western Police Department. I had worked with her for about four or five years. And so she reached, I was on my leave of absence from work and she reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to speak because they have a really bad bullying issue at their junior high. And so myself, along with um, a, a guy named Presley Aronson, um, we spoke we went to this junior high and we spoke and Presley's amazing with how he speaks as he speaks through. He's, uh, he's got a foundation called the background foundation, the background foundation. And uh, he's living proof of how you can survive being bullied. Um, he wrote a song called the background. I uh, recommend you listen to it. It is a powerful song. Um, and that's his life. He wrote that song about his life. He went to a, he lived in LA. Um, He went to school with a bunch of rich, famous people and famous kids. And he was bullied by them, told multiple times a day to kill himself. 
Uh, and he now is the owner of his own, like he's a, his own production company. Um, he is an artist, he sings. So when he speaks at school, he's, he speaks through music. He sings his songs and he, um, he talks, he taught the way he can talk to these kids. He's only 22. And so he can relate to these kids. He's not much older than them. And so we spoke at the school where they were having, um, they're very active with the Safe UT app and they were having like multiple times, like a week where they were getting um, stuff in from the Safe UT saying that, you know, the, the fights, the bullying and the assaults, like it was pretty extreme as far as what the officer said that they were dealing with. And so we came and we spoke and a lot of it, all it really takes is allowing these kids to see that they're not, I think a kid, what kids think is when they're getting bullied or a kid who gets bullied is there's always like a, a label to it. Like maybe they're nerdy. Maybe they like video games. Maybe they play chess. Like there's, there's, you think that there's a label to be bullied. And um, so during these talks, what, what I do is, is you have everybody close their eyes and everybody, even the teachers and everybody close their eyes and, you raise your hand and, or you tell them to raise their hand if they've ever been bullied. And 95% of them raise their hand, including the teachers. And so you tell them to keep their hands raised and then you tell them to open their eyes. And when you have all of these kids open their eyes and they see all of these kids who are being bullied at some point in their life, it opens their eyes to know that, that maybe a kid on the football team he gets bullied. Kid on the basketball team, cheerleader, popular girls at school. Um, they're all getting bullied. They're all getting bullied by somebody. And and then you see them all like they give each other a hug. And um, that school alone dropped just after my speaking. And a lot of kids, like I said, with Drake's story, it went it went worldwide, but it it hit Utah pretty hard. And um, when I started speaking and all it took was for Drake's picture to be put up on the, um, on the screen. And, and these kids cried because they knew and they could relate because they're his age. Um, to knowing and to be able to tell them that, you know, all it took for Drake, Drake had a hundred friends thousands of friends he was friends with everybody but it only took one kid to prove to him that he wasn't worth it to make him believe that he wasn't worth it and so it's it's just showing kids and, and talking to these kids and getting them to all relate that they're all they're all the same they're all on the same level and they just they just need to be kind that shows the power of evil when one again the the kid, I think evil. There has to be intent, but he just doesn't know that he's being evil. Because you said he had hundreds of friends, and yet yeah. the one pushed him over the edge. That's yeah. hard to get. That's hard to get your head around. Really, it really is. Because he, Drake was an avid. He played avid basketball. He was a huge Pokemon fan. Lover of all things jazz. 
he, um, we got books from the kids at school that I guess he would, because he was so little, and he liked to go up to all the tall kids, the super tall kids, and he'd get up on his tippy toes and he'd pat them on top of the head, and he'd be like, you're short. And then they would tap him on the head and they'd be like, you're tall. And so these stories and stuff that we learned at the viewing and, and these books that we have that, uh, that Drake was the, he was the tallest, shortest, he was the tallest, short, the tallest, short person we ever met. And he just, he was just a giant in a little body, but he always made people feel good about themselves. Like he handed Pokemon cards out to homeless people that was his thing like at the parks at the grocery store because he thought that if they ever looked at it they knew that at one point one person cared enough to give that to them that they were thinking about them and then he just talked to them he wanted to know about their life he wanted to know how they got to where they were and and no judgment sounds like he would have had the same impact had he stayed. It just may have taken longer with a heart like that. Yeah. You guys are lucky because you, you got to know him. I was telling, um, we were sitting on the couch. I was on one couch and Andy was on the other couch. And this was like the day before his funeral. And um, we had his viewing on a Friday and we published, we publicized his viewing. We made it public. And um, we had probably 800 people showed up to his viewing, which is remarkable. People that have flown in from, we had families that flown in from different states. Um, a couple families that flew in from like Venezuela and all they wanted to do was just hug me or shake his dad's hand to be able to take our strength home and to see Drake and to be able to, to take his love just by seeing him, to be able to carry that back with them, to, to teach. And um, we did, so his viewing was on a Friday and then we did his funeral on a Sunday. And um, so Saturday night we were sitting there on the couch and kind of just talking. Um, we are talking about the whole, the what it means, like a semicolon, what a semicolon really means. And um, I never really heard about any of this. Like suicide was just never, it's not ever talked about. And so you don't ever really know about it until it, until it happens to you. And I had read a thing that somebody had sent me about a semi, about the semicolon. And um, I was like, I really don't know what this means. And so I looked into it and, and it's, it's the pause. It's pause. It's the pause of one story, and I looked at I looked at Andy and I said, you know, in the twelve years we got to have Drake, he absolutely fulfilled every part of why he was here. A lot of people, when they lose kids, they lose them, and there's no, and they're sad because there's no, you know, like what part of what was their life? What what did their life mean to anybody besides them? And um, I told Andy, I said, he, 
he absolutely did what he needed to do here. And so his life is really ending with a semicolon because it's a pause of what he left for us to finish. And, and all the things that he's, he's doing now and, and the people that he's reaching, but very much like you said, he, he may have gotten through it and he may have gotten to it. Um, but he, um, it would have taken him longer. And now he, he can do it at a much bigger pace. And he has a much bigger army that, that he gets to enforce and, and rally and, and spread through. And so I really, as much as it hurts every day, like I, and as much as I miss him, I, I truly believe that he fulfilled his plan here. And he's, he's got so much more reach now. Yeah. Spiritually. Absolutely. None of us know the impact we have on, on the world around us. And it, we often think, Oh, who, who am I? I'm a nobody. Like you said, I'm boring. I'm just a mom. I'm boring. I'm not the influencer. We, we, we tend to think that we tend to go down that road. Um, yeah. We had a, a friends of ours years ago and their son accidentally took his life and at the funeral his dad said my son said he had no friends yet this room has 500 people in it yeah you wish you could see the the impact you have i guess i guess you can in, in small circles but to know the reach you have is is tough to know yeah. It's hard. It's a hard way to find out the reach that he had. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's it's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around. Like you have to stay away from the whys. You have to stay away from the what ifs. There's there's things. I mean, to lose to lose a kid in any aspect, cancer, a freak accident, like to lose a child in general, the pain is the same. It's absolutely the same. Um, I've had, I've had people that are like, "Well, if you would have lost him this way, maybe it wouldn't have been as hard." Absolutely, you still lose. Like, the result is the same. Yeah, they're still not here. The hardest, the hardest way to lose a kid is not knowing what was going through their mind before that decision was made. That is the hardest part. And, and those are the questions when you lose anybody to suicide, whether it be a kid, a spouse, a brother, those are the questions you have to stay away from. It's, just a, rabbit, get, it's a rabbit hole. And, they'll, and it'll eat you alive and he had such a positive impact yet felt he had he had so much value but yet he felt he had no value clearly math doesn't make sense nope well sammy 
I don't want to take up the rest of your evening. I feel like we could go on and on. Is there anything that you want to share that I haven't asked you that anyone listening to this could take away? I think if, I don't even know. As, as parents, I think if we listen to our kids, listen to listen to what they have to say, know their, learn their routines. Um, I know as parents, we get caught up in, in everyday life, whether it be work or home. But, um, if you're, if your kids want to talk, talk. And if you, if you worry that something is going on, ask those hard questions. And as much as I would like to say that, that, Maybe in my circumstance, asking the hard questions didn't get me to where I get, didn't get Drake to where he needed to be. And it didn't work out in my one time circumstance. Your kids are going to tell you, they're going to show you, they're going to, they're going to find some way for you to possibly know that, that something's going on. Like I said, Drake, Drake told us until it started to get worse for him. And that's when he stopped. And, and maybe if going back, if maybe when it got quiet, maybe I should have asked more questions. It's, it's a turn of, um, always ask the questions and always listen listen to the responses and let our kids validate how they're feeling. Um, don't push them away, especially boys. A lot of, I think the expectation of boys is that they have to man up, that they have to, you know, be tough and they don't, they don't get to be sad and they don't get to feel these feelings. And then as they become teenagers, puberty happens, hormones happen. And they don't know how to navigate these feelings. And then as adults, um, they grow into adults and, you know, conflicts happen and, and things happen and, and they don't, they don't know how to navigate what they're feeling, let alone to, to talk to somebody. And so I think as parents, if we, if we choose to do this early and we choose to to listen and to talk and to ask the questions, ask all the questions and have the conversations with your kids, whether it be you have a kid that's being mean to somebody, like don't, don't reprimand them, love them through it, show them different ways that they can, that they can change. And if you have a kid that, that's being picked on or that's being bullied, help them find a solution that helps, that helps them, um, that doesn't hinder and cause, cause issues for them, I guess, in the long run. About all I have. That's a lot. Again, I'm so sorry that this is all your new world now. And, and I'm so grateful for you coming on and sharing this again. And I hope that, you know, we'll, we'll blast it out to everyone I can think of. And, and, um, What's the best way someone could contact you if they wanted to reach out? Um, they can 
I mean, they can email me on the, it's do it for Drake 12 at gmail.com. Um, you can reach out to me on any of my social medias, my Instagram. I don't know what my name is right. on there. I'll put it, I'll put it all in the show notes. So um, you don't have to tell me. Yeah. Like that's, those are, I'm, I'm pretty good. I've, I've caught up on the majority of all my messages. So, um, I do, I do pretty good to try to, to try to get through them. And, um, but if it's something that they've tried to outreach me on social media and it's maybe gone to a folder I haven't seen, then, um, email is the, is the quickest route to me. Cause I, I get those automatically. They don't spam out. You got, you got an amazing job ahead of you, but you're, sounds like you guys are stronger as a family because of it. And are doing some amazing things to try to stop this kind of madness. So I thank you for, and your family. Thank your family for me. I will do. So, My daughter just tried to walk in. It's not going to go. Well, you should have brought her on. <laughs> I don't mind talking to her as well. That might be, you know what? That that might be it. If they're, if they are willing and able is to, is to talk to the siblings. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe see if they're, if they're open to that. Yeah. It might be just so they can speak to the, the Utes since I'm old. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> well, you're going to be a grandma. That's crazy. How is that <laughs> possible when you're 30? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Wow. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. And if there's anything I can ever do, please let me know. Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. Thank you again for listening to the show. I really appreciate the time you spend to hear the words and hear our guests. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please send an email to parishpodcast at gmail.com. That's parishpodcast at gmail.com. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.